to God. Thank you, choir. Will you pray with me? Father, thank you for this magnificent morning. Thank you for all the promises that we have in Jesus Christ. And we say with with the singers at Tallowood and the the singers in the book of Revelation, you are worthy. Oh God, you are worth it. You are worth everything, Lord, the investment of our whole lives because you were slain for us and you have risen again and have overcome death and sin, the grave and hell so that we might live with you forever in a real place called heaven. Lord, we celebrate today the greatness of your great name, your matchless love, your redeeming power. All of these things call forth the very best of our lives, Lord. We want to sing, and even more than we want to sing, we want to live for you because you died for us. So help us, I pray, Lord, to give you our our mind's attention and our heart's affection this morning, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. What a great morning. Glory to God. It's been um, an interesting week. As many of you know, we have walked through the valley of the shadow of death together as a congregation this week. And uh, Larry and I calculated that he and I had been a part of five different funeral services since we last met. And uh, we received the word yesterday that, that Buster Adkins has gone to be with the Lord. And that funeral will be this week. And in this week, we, we've lost uh, people in their 90s and in their, their 80s. And we've lost um, a man in his, th- in his 30s. I lost a friend in his 40s this week, the same age that I am, 48. Perhaps in all of these deaths, the most shocking was of the 28-year-old pastor in Arlington, Clint Dobson, uh, a sister church of ours. Uh, his, his pastor, Dennis Wiles, one of my very good friends, and Clint, a graduate of Truett Seminary, was murdered in his office. And we're still trying to fathom that, the unfathomable uh, pain that that family and that church family is feeling. And I was reminded that almost uh, two years ago to the day, Fred Winters, a man who went to seminary with me, a pastor at um, Maryville, Illinois, First Baptist Church, was, was shot during a worship service. And it was a year later, so a year ago, his wife Cindy stood before their congregation and tried to tell her journey of what had happened in that year after her husband had been killed. And she said there came this this moment of clarity for her when she realized that Satan had orchestrated all of that. And in that moment, she said, she lifted her eyes heavenward to the Lord and said, then Satan will not win. He will not win. She spoke truth for people like us. I don't know what you believe about Satan, I read the statistics this week, some 90-something percent of Americans believe in God, only 59% believe in Satan. I was 
commuting for four years to seminary with a friend of mine who didn't believe in a personal Satan. We had some interesting conversations along the way. He said, no, the devil doesn't make us do it. I make myself do it, and I don't want to deny our personal responsibility. We do what we do, right? And we're responsible for what we do. All I know is that when we want to do wrong, there are great forces that are fully prepared to help us in that enterprise. I'm with D.L. Moody on this when he said, I believe in Satan for two reasons. First of all, the Bible declares that he's real. And second of all, unfortunately, I've done business with him. Maybe that's your story as well. Hear the word of the Lord today. Before we tremble in fear before our adversary, we ought to trust in faith in our advocate. Would you open your Bibles with me again to Ephesians chapter 6? verses 10 through 12. We're making progress. This is my 27th sermon in Ephesians. Um, Calvin only took 25, so I've gone beyond him now, and uh, we'll be sharing in Ephesians until we come finally to Palm Sunday and Easter. Let's stand together to hear the word of the Lord today, Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 12. This is no time to speed up, so we'll take the time we need in these weeks to understand what God is saying to us And today, Ephesians 6, verses 10 through 12, where Paul says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Thank you. You may be seated. Finally, Paul says, finally. Maybe you grew up in churches as I did where you learned to mistrust that word when it came from the mouth of a preacher. Finally, Paul says, Finally, of the remaining, it says in Greek, for the rest, let's bring this to conclusion, Paul says, and he rises to a crescendo. Think about the places, I sound like Dr. Seuss this morning, oh, the places we have been in our study of the book of Ephesians, how we saw that we live our lives through his grace and peace to the praise of his glorious Grace, that though we were dead in our trespasses and sins, He has made us alive. We were saved by grace through faith. We are His workmanship, His masterpiece, God's poema, His poem. We are created for good works in Christ Jesus and Paul praise for the church at Ephesus and the church in Houston that we will know the width and the the height and the depth and the breadth of the love of God which is immeasurable that we will be filled with all the fullness of the God who fills everything in every way so that the preachers and the ministers will equip the saints to do the work of ministry He calls us to live lives in which we put off the old man and put on the new, in which we become imitators of God as dearly loved children so that we will live as children 
of the light. And this has implications, he says, for our families so that we husbands and wives submit to one another and love one another so that children obey and parents don't exasperate and even employers and employees have responsibilities to submit to each other and then he says and by the way while God is accomplishing this great purpose in our world and in our lives he does not stand unopposed now we've had glimpses along the way In 2.2, he talks about the prince of the power of the air, the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the NIV says. We we learned back in 1.21 that he's above all rule and authority. And we breezed through that, not knowing exactly what he was talking about. But now he invokes those very same words and says, opposed to our great advocate is a lesser adversary who is awesome to us but not nearly as awesome as God and before he lets us fixate on our adversary he reminds us of who our advocate is be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power because he says if you put on the full armor of God if you will put on God if you will wear God on your eyes and on your mind and in your life, if you will clothe yourself in the grace of God, he says, you will be able to stand. Sounds a little anticlimactic to us, doesn't it? You'll be able to stand, he says, four times. He says, you will be able to stand. Were you planning on standing? (laughs) Were you planning on taking a stand? If we don't stand for something, we will fall for anything. We can stand in Christ. Christ is our strength. And we either stand in His strength or we will fall. But let me assure you, let me reassure you this morning and say to you, if you were planning on standing on your own against the onslaught of evil in this world, I don't have good news for you. You won't be able to stand in your own strength. But oh, if we could stand in the Lord, if we could be in the Lord and stand in His strength, then we would be able, he says, to overcome the powers of darkness in this world. Notice first, our great advocate, he says, stand in the strength of the sovereign Savior. Stand in His strength because even when we're not strong enough, He is. It's not enough for our friends to say to us, in weeks like we've had, it's not enough for our friends to say to us, Well, be strong. Be strong. Paul uses a a present passive here to say your strength comes from outside yourself. It's when you are in the Lord. Now that's pregnant for Paul with meaning. This idea of being in the Lord. To be in right relationship with Him by grace through faith. That's what it means to be in the Lord. And he says if you're going to be strong at all, it will be in the Lord. I've met a lot of people this week who had amazing strength when I think about this uh, family, this young young wife who walked back in with me from the the hearse there where where her 39-year-old husband's body had been placed and she looked at me and said, I don't know what we would have done without our church family. I was reminded that God's strength comes in community 
It comes with God's people supporting each other and loving each other and praying for each other and studying God's Word together. That's where the strength comes from to stand strong. Be strong, he says, in the Lord because our own strength is not enough. Martin Luther believed in a personal Satan. You can go to the castle of Artburg to this day and see where in his personal battle with Satan he took his inkwell one day and he was oppressed by an evil spirit and he threw that, that bottle of ink against the wall and it splattered on that wall. You can still see the ink stain to this day. It was Martin Luther who wrote a mighty fortress is our God. Growing up in Germany, looking at those same castles that he had seen when he was a child, I got a sense of what it means for God to be a, a mighty fortress, a bulwark that never fails. These great impregnable fortresses remind us of the strength of our God. And listen to what Martin Luther wrote, what we sang earlier. Did we in our own strength confide? Our striving would be losing. We're not the right man on our side. The man of God's own choosing. Dost ask who that may be. Christ Jesus, it is He. Lord Sabaoth, His name, from age to age the same. And He must, He must win the battle. This is the strength of our God. The Patton's found this to be true on the New Hebrides Islands as Billy Graham recounts it when when the natives surrounded their house and were ready to destroy them and for some reason, some inexplicable reason did not attack them that night. Years later, they won those same natives to Christ and said, why didn't you attack us on that night when you had the opportunity? And they said, because of the great army of soldiers with dazzling bright swords that stood protecting you. But we were the only ones there. No, you were not the only ones there. And we are reminded of, of Elisha and his servant when they realize they're surrounded by the army of the Arameans in 2 Kings chapter 6. And I've looked at the Hebrew closely. The servant says in Hebrew, uh-oh, uh-oh, we are surrounded by armies, we're in deep trouble. And Elisha says, oh God, open his eyes that he may see that those who are for us are more than those who are against us. I'm not afraid of a little pink devil holding a pitchfork. But when I see the evil at work in our world, when I understand that this evil is bent on the destruction of our lives and our homes, it decimates us and fills our young people's minds with, with the mind-bending chemicals. When I look at the evil in our world and the murder that takes place even in the house of God in Arlington, I am glad to know that our advocate is greater than our adversary. And he says, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power, as if to say, and he exhausts the Greek language again just to tell us how much dynamic, mighty power our almighty sovereign God has at his disposal. And he seems to say that this power belongs to us. He says in chapter 3, it is manifest in his church. God's power is enough. I wonder if we believe that when we find ourselves facing 
Satan, who Revelation 12.10 says is the great accuser of the brethren. And we feel all of these accusations against us. And we are told all the evil that we have done and the mistakes we have made. And let me tell you, God's answer to to our own self-condemnation and guilt is the blood of His Son, Jesus Christ. And He says... We are forgiven. So when the adversary, when the enemy says you can't do anything for God because of all the mistakes that you have made, that's when we say God knows about that. And he says the blood of his son, Jesus Christ, is enough. And if he says it's enough, well, then that's enough for me. We need to know the power of our God so that we will be able to stand. He says it four times there, once in verse 11, twice in verse 13, and then again in verse 14. He says you need to be able to stand. I know we like to claim new ground. I know the measure of uh, football is whether or not you make that final yard and get the first down. But sometimes, do you know what I mean? It is all we can do just to stand. I take my daughter, our daughter, ice skating sometimes. And uh, I wish I could tell you that I can do a triple salcow into a triple lutz. You'd probably like to see me try I don't try. I don't even skate backwards very much. But I tell you what I do pretty well when I'm ice skating. I grew up doing it. I stand pretty well. I mean, it may seem like a small accomplishment to you, but it it keeps me dry and healthy and safe. And our daughter will say to me, how come you never fall down? Because I say, I intend to stand. (laughs) I have no intention of falling down. I'm not going to try anything that's going to make me fall down. And sometimes the very best we can do, the most we can do, is stand, but when we stand, we discover that we do not stand in our own strength, but in the strength of the Lord, and He is with us. And it's true that our enemy, 1 Peter 5 8, is like a roaring lion seeking whom He may devour. I read Craig Childs, the naturalist and photographer. I read his account this week of a time when he was studying mountain lions. I can think of safer things to do, but he went out to study mountain lions. He saw one at about 30 feet away, and He watched it drink water, and then when it went off into the woods, he went up just to check out the size of its paw prints. And as he was measuring, he looked back in the woods and saw two eyes looking at him. He stood up, grabbed his knife. I'm not sure what he planned to do with that, but he watched, and he knew two things in that moment, what what he could do and what he could not do. If he ran from the mountain lion, he would die. But instead, he stood and faced the lion. And when the lion came toward him and moved to the left, he turned to his left to front the lion. And when the lion circled back to his right, he moved to his right. And at each stage, he faced the lion. And finally, the lion bounded off into the forest. If he couldn't attack him from behind, he would not attack him at all. The Scripture says, resist Satan. And he will flee from you. Some of us don't know what that's like because our idea of temptation is the easiest thing is just to collaborate with Satan, just to do what we're tempted to do. But I promise you, if you try this, it works. If you will resist Satan, he will flee from you. He has no power over you. Christ has already won the victory. The message of Revelation is we win in the end. And the victory is already ours. And so stand in the strength of the sovereign Savior. And you will be able to stave off Satan and his schemes. 
I don't mean to minimize the power of Satan. I take Satan seriously because the Bible takes Satan seriously. And when he describes him and he he calls him the devil there in verse 11, and then he says the devil's not alone. Maybe we knew that, that, that no one finite entity could cause all the havoc and evil that that seems to be present in our world. No, he says, for us, the truth is our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Well, that's good to know because sometimes we think we're fighting against people and we're not fighting against people. The people who disagree with us in the culture wars that we face in our culture these days, the enemy is not the other person. We're not fighting against flesh and blood. No, he says, we fight against real forces of evil. And just notice a few things about them. First of all, that these forces of evil, as he describes them, are powerful. He uses words of power. He calls them, in in verse 12, rulers and authorities and powers. There is great power in in evil in our world. You don't need me to tell you that. The, The people who are facing conflict and struggle in our world know that there is great power in these spiritual forces. Notice also that they are evil. They are bent on our destruction. He uses words to describe them. He says they, they're in this dark world and they're in the heavenly realms. And he says the devil and his schemes in verse 11. The word devil in Greek is diabolos. Gives us our word diabolical. That captures it, doesn't it? They're intent on harming us. One of you gave me recently the, the book by Laura Hillenbrand, um, the book called Unbroken, which tells the story of Louis Zamperini. And, you know, he was one of the, after he ran in the Olympics uh, in Berlin in 36, he was in the Army after his career at USC, ready to run in the next Olympics. He was a, a sure shot to win a medal, but, but the war happened, and he found himself over in Hawaii in the Pacific flying a, a plane called the B-24, which was really, if you know the story, kind of a, a death trap. And he was flying in one of those planes, and he says in the book that the people whose planes crashed really hoped that they would die in the crash, because if they survived and found themselves on the life rafts, they were then forced to face the sharks. And um, where I am in the book, he has just crashed and gotten in the life raft with two of his friends, and... The sharks are circling. In fact, when they're lying down in the bottom of the raft, they can feel the fins of the sharks brushing against their backs. I wish I could tell you how the story ends. I'm just on page 131. I'll let you know next week, but it's kind of scary right now. And when you're surrounded by sharks, when you're dealing with the diabolical devil of the darkness, you realize there are forces arrayed in this world that want to harm you. And we have experienced that harm even in our church family. And when we live in a world with great potential for evil, we are tempted to despair, but we are not to despair as he describes them. They're powerful and they're wicked. He says they're also crafty. I, I don't think the, the word wiles in the King James Version does this justice. It's really schemes. The Greek word is methods. Maybe best of all, stratagems. That is to say, this force of evil in our world is strategic in its intent. It plays mind games with us. I read a 
book or an excerpt from a book recently called Head Games in which the writer tells about Alexander the Great who when he would retreat from his enemy and apparently didn't retreat much because he conquered the known world but when he found himself in a situation where his his troops had to retreat he had had his armor makers create very large breastplates for men that were larger than any people in his army large enough to fit a person who was seven feet tall or eight feet tall and huge shields and and spears. And he said, just leave some of those behind as we retreat so that when our enemy thinks they're chasing us and they see the size of this armor, they will realize that if they find us, they'll be in a lot of trouble. He was playing head games with his enemy. This is the word, methods, strategies, And Satan would love to convince us that he is more powerful than he is. And I don't mean to diminish his power. There are two dangers related to Satan. The one, on the other hand, is to overestimate him. The other is to underestimate him. I don't want to underestimate him, but I do not want to put him on a par. Because when I go back to chapter 1, verse 21, and it says that Jesus Christ has been exalted far above all authorities and rulers and powers, it is precisely this force of evil that Paul is speaking about. And he is telling us that our God is greater still. I read Craig Morse's story of going over to Iraq. He is a medical doctor who became uh, a medical doctor in the military. And he said the strange thing about his job was that sometimes they weren't just rescuing American troops there over in the Middle East, but that they were also sometimes trying to save the lives of the very enemies. Here's the thing. Americans kind of play by the rules You understand, Satan doesn't know the Geneva Convention. He doesn't play fair. He doesn't do. But Craig Morris is telling this story, and he said, we're riding in Humvees where there are roadside bombs that can take our lives. He had just lost a friend the week before, and he said, I'm riding in this Humvee thinking, we are not even going to rescue our own. We're going to protect and save the life of somebody who was trying to harm us. And he's on that way, and he's wondering why he's there. And he remembers that he's got his iPod and that his son-in-law, good son-in-law, has uh, loaded 2,000 songs for him, and he just punches... uh, Shuffle, and the first song that comes up is the Brooklyn Tabernacle Choir. Now, if you find yourself in a Humvee in Iraq, having the Brooklyn Tabernacle Choir with you would be a good thing. And they begin to sing, Surely the presence of the Lord is in this place. And he thinks, in a Humvee in Iraq, Surely the presence of the Lord is in this place. I can feel His mighty power and His grace. I can hear the brush of angels' wings. I see glory on each face. And he says, I would love to tell you that the way I made it through Iraq and my time in the military was just that I was just courageous or I was just smart or I was just strong or I was just capable. But the only thing that got me through was the realization that even there, especially there, God was there. If you find yourself this week Walking through the valley of the shadow of death. You remember this. Surely the presence of the Lord is in this place. The angel on the tombstone said, Go ahead. Go ahead into Galilee. And you will find that Jesus is already there. And wherever we go this week, I found out after my mother-in-law passed away on an Easter Sunday afternoon going back to the cemetery that God was even There, as a group began to sing, it is well with my soul, I was reminded even in the cemetery, God has already been there and done that and risen again. So what will you and I face this week 
that is greater than his power to prevail. As Fred Winters, the pastor who had died in the church, as his wife said, then Satan will not win. He will not win. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for the promise of victory in the Lord Jesus Christ. Help us to receive that victory today, to believe, God, that you really are enough for people like us. Help us to trust you today, Lord, and to put on the full armor, which is, God, to put you on today, to try you out for size, and to believe, as our choir has sung, that you are worthy, that you are worth it, that you are worth our worship Oh God, help us to believe that. Oh God, help us to live that, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.